0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Day after Christmas, December 26th, 2017, that is Boxing Day, we dropped a story about Marine Mersenne and his famous brand of prime numbers. The very same day, a FedEx employee in Germantown, Tennessee, named John Pace, pulled up his computer and found something he must have been pretty excited about. Pace is a volunteer for the Great Internet Mersenne Prime Search, or GIMPS, a freelance project that allows anyone with a computer and an internet connection to join the hunt for the next largest prime number known to mankind. In 14 years of working with the project, and six days of crunching his latest candidate, Pace had found it. The largest prime number. For now. I mean... There are an infinite number of Prime numbers, so in fact there is no such thing as a largest Prime number, but Pace's is the largest we currently know of. That probably won't remain true for long, a year or two on the outside. But today, we can offer our thanks and congrats to Pace, his PC, and the 50th Mersenne Prime. I'd read it out for you, but it's uh, more than 23 million digits long. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler, and I'm hard at work uh, researching, writing, recording, producing season two, which will begin in March. But I wanted to take a few minutes to share with you a couple of small stories, addendums really, to the first season. So, if you haven't listened already, don't start here. Repeat, if you haven't heard the first season, do not begin at this. Go back and listen to the actual season first, or this stuff won't make a lot of sense, or at least will be more anticlimactic than it otherwise will be. But if you have already listened to our first eight episodes, then here are just a couple little bonuses for you. Without further ado, I give you tidbits and trimmings. Back in our first episode, Why Do Birds Suddenly Disappear? I talked about Charles Morton, the guy who concocted a theory that birds migrate to the moon. Morton's reasoning was as technically detailed as it was, uh, wrong. And the whole notion seemed to come so out of left field, like he'd just been shuffling flashcards and happened to draw moon birds by accident. Which is why it is so curious that another man... Bishop Francis Godwin was writing up approximately the same idea at approximately the same time. At nearly the same moment Morton was working on his treatise, Godwin was working on a pseudonymous story by an adventurer of his creation, Domingo Gonzalez, and his fanciful journey to the moon. Gonzalez made his way moonwards thanks to his invention, a large basket like that of a hot air balloon to which he attached a dozen or so harnesses to which were attached a bunch of wild swans. Initially, Gonzales used his swan chariot to tool around an island. But after he was attacked by a British ship and then some island natives, the swans panicked and took off for the moon with Gonzales helplessly tethered to them on the moon, he discovered a civilization of tall, sing-songy lunarites, stones that render people weightless, and all of the various birds that disappear from Europe during winter. Natch. The Man in the Moon is sometimes considered the first science fiction story, and it deserves that term more than many things. The tale of Gonzales was an inspiration for H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, Edgar Allan Poe, among others, yet At the same time, it contained real, cutting-edge scientific ideas, like the Copernican model of the solar system. And whether Godwin meant his moon-flying swans to be fact or fancy is impossible to say. Halley or Haley? Trying to pronounce the name of the comet or the man for whom it's named drives me nuts. Pretty much every scientist today says Halley, but there's good reason to think that it wasn't always that way. Take this poem from 1910. Of all the comets in the sky, there's none like Comet Halley. We see it with the naked eye, and periodically. The first to see it was not he, but still we call it Halley. The notion that it would return was his originally. Originally? Periodicaly, or let's, Hully, Hack, Hackley, Periodicaly, ugh, see, that's tough, but one pronunciation we can say pretty confidently is wrong is the one you, if you're an American, probably grew up with, Haley. It doesn't seem that anyone ever said Edmund's name this way until the 1950s, when it suddenly became the de facto pronunciation in America. Because of a rock and roll band, of course. Bill Haley and the Comets. Journey to the ancient city of Viterbo. Fifty miles or so north of Rome and near the center of town, you'll find a building that looks pretty unremarkable. It doesn't stand out. It's neither older nor newer nor more finely or crudely constructed than its neighbors. You wouldn't notice it at all, except that by its front door is a peculiar historical plaque, which reads, This building was designed by an unknown architect in an irrelevant epoch and never belonged to an important person. The complex does not show any original architectural solutions, nor does it conserve any important works of art within. No memory is kept of any significant historical events occurring on this site. No known personality was born, lived, or died here, nor is any excellent artist or sublime poet still working here. Always read the plaque. This is An Ordinary Building, a project by Ava and Franco Matez. Creators of Darko Maver, the fake gorilla sculptor from episode 5, Art is Dead. I thought I'd tell you about another of Ava and Franco's amazing art pranks, and I had a couple in mind, so I asked my wife which I should talk about, and briefly explained them. Her response, these people sound like assholes. Which I guess means it's dealer's choice. So here's and all P.Y. For the 49th Venice Biennale, Ava and Franco contributed a poem, downloadable from the exhibit's website. It is a weird poem, but that's not really a surprise. Ava and Franco are kind of weirdos, and so is contemporary poetry. If you were to try to read the poem aloud, the opening stanza might sound like this. Fornicate, guest. Soul equals open, guest body equals soul, read, soul, close, if I find body, epidemic, soul, write my body in body, soul, close, and the closing stanza might read, my soul equals open, my body equals my soul, read, my body equals my body, find my body, my body, close, blacklist equals replace split, if blacklist, 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 wank, Blacklist, print, 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 print. But that's if you could read it aloud. The piece is festooned with odd little ticks and punctuation, backslashes, colons, parentheses, exclamation points. It reads more like software code than poetry. And when the curators at the Venice Biennale uploaded it onto the website, they realized why. It was a computer virus, disguised as a poem. Or, is it art? that is also a computer virus, that is also a poem. Whichever the case, biennale.py is still out there, spreading from computer to computer. It's not designed to harm your PC, or spy on you, or infect you with adware. It's only meant to spread, slowly, and hide. Hide away its beauty. Your computer may contain a little bit of secret poetry, even now. Unless you killed it with Norton Antivirus. You monster. Uh, and that'll do it for this bonus episode of The Constant. Uh, obviously, a little underproduced, a little skin of our teeth, but we will be back for real with Season 2 in just a few short weeks. I've also been working on a couple of spec ads, things that I think might be advertisements for the show. Although I don't know what to do with them. So keep checking your iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us from. Because you might enjoy these little 90-second ads about ads for the constant. Thanks much for listening.